Thanks for tuning in to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that you're blessed and encouraged to walk out the gospel as you listen to this message. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all. Man, lots of good stuff happening. Uh, How many like our stained glass behind me? (laughs) You all didn't know what was behind the curtain. We're we're letting you in behind the curtain today. I don't know if Charity mentioned it or not, but uh, we're going to be doing some renovations on our our stage and some things up here. Um, And so the next couple of weeks are going to be a bit messy. Are you all okay with that? If you've ever had your house renovated or, you know, redone, you know that there's a, there's a, a little bit of mess involved. And so next week will be especially messy. So come and see the mess, okay? Uh, don't miss out. It's going to be beautiful at the end. Um, we are going to jump right in this morning to where we've been uh, in the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. And if you've been here these past few weeks, we're giving our attention to what... It means to respond to the invitation of Jesus when he says, follow me. And uh, in this sermon, uh, this teaching of Jesus, he gives us really very practically and very clearly what life in the kingdom looks like, what, what kingdom people look like and what they live like. How many want to live in the kingdom of God? Yeah, I do too. Um, Jesus is painting a picture for us of what it looks like as the kingdom of heaven comes near, as heaven begins to invade earth. And, and the, the, the Beatitudes are describing what actually happens to people when the gospel, when his gospel and when his kingdom get a hold of us. And so we're finding in the Beatitudes um, that they're very disruptive. They're very disorienting um, to a culture that has an entirely different definition of being blessed and happy. How many know the definition that Jesus is giving us of blessed and happy is very different from the world's? It's it's a very different uh, definition. The Beatitudes, um, as we've said, they confront uh, every ideology that exists in our world today. And through them, Jesus is saying, my kingdom is nothing like the kingdoms of this world, but when it gets in you, it'll transform you. It'll transform you from the inside out. So as we look at these Beatitudes, we're coming to realize um, that, yes, they are instructions, right? But if we only take them as instructions, we kind of miss the bigger picture. Jesus is actually, through the Beatitudes, showing us his agenda. How many want the agenda of heaven? I want it too. He's showing us his agenda, and in that agenda is his way, um, the way in which he's going to work, and and what the people look like that he's going to work through. And um, so if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5 again, and we're going to be here and do a quick review of the first three by reading them out loud. How many are enjoying the Sermon on the Mount? How many are enjoying the Beatitudes? I am too. Um, They're coming alive to me in such a fresh way. Um, Starting with verse 3, I'm going to just read these out again. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The next one, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. This is where we were last week. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. How many of this last week entered into a new realm of being meek? Oh, only three people. So the sermon didn't work. Today, I'm going to pray for better results. We're, we're going to look at this fourth beatitude. 
in verse 6, and it's this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Can we read that out loud together? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed, happy, we've used the terms right on, right side up are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He's not saying blessed are those who feel righteous. How many are thankful for that? He's not saying blessed are those who are declared righteous. Although that is something he could say in certain circumstances and contexts. What he's saying here is blessed are those who, although knowingly unrighteous, are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, we can't just decide to be these eight qualities. It's just not like this decision. There aren't enough post-it notes you can put on your mirror to remind yourself, you know, or put in your car. It's not like, I will mourn, I will be meek, you know, I will be, you know, it, it doesn't work that way. These qualities come into us through the power of the good news of Jesus Christ. They come into us through the kingdom of God actually breaking into our lives. And they come into us through us turning and repenting and recognizing our incredibly great need for him. And, and that isn't just at the beginning. That's a lifelong of de- long dependency upon him. It's a recognizing continually. Jesus is saying in these Beatitudes, he's saying, I'm going to show you the characteristics of what happens when people are aligned with my rule and my reign. I'm showing you how the kingdom comes. I'm showing you how the kingdom flows. You know, some of us have all kinds of ideas about what that looks like, but Jesus has given us a really clear picture here, and it's very down to earth. You read the whole Sermon on the Mount, it's very, very practical. It's in the nitty-gritty of life. The nitty-gritty of life. And what he's saying here is I'm showing you how my kingdom's going to come and how it's going to flow. And it flows through people that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who continually recognize their need for God. Recognize their need that that are, are in utter dependency upon him. That would say even I'm bankrupt without him. And in a culture... The American way, the American life, is a a life that promotes dependency, but the kingdom of God promotes uh, dependency upon him. Not self-dependency, but a dependency upon the power and the spirit of God at work in our lives. Every beatitude, I believe, flows from this one, the poor in spirit, because the very kingdom comes and it flows through those who live in continual recognition of how much we need him. So Jesus, he, he comes into us. The Spirit of God comes into us. He calls us to follow him. And he causes his kingdom to break in. And then it begins to break out through our lives. That's called fruit, right? There's fruit in our lives. I said that really high. Fruit. And as a result, something happens. We find ourselves becoming. We find ourselves becoming poor in spirit. We find ourselves mourning. I begin to recognize the gap between where I am and where he's calling me. 
The gap between what I'm currently seeing and then the image of the one that I'm called to become like. Do you ever recognize that gap? I do too. There are moments I'm like, whoa, that gap is widened. We begin to hunger. We begin to thirst for righteousness like never before. We begin to crave him in a way that we've never craved. And Jesus is saying that when you get in touch with your need for him on a deep level, when you get in touch with that on a deep level in your heart, it's going to take hold of your life. You're going to get hungry. You're going to get hungry. Spiritual hunger is, is the revelation of my need for God. <laughs> Spiritual hunger is my revelation of my need for God. Spiritual hunger, I'm going to say it again, is my revelation that I need him desperately. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness actually sustains poverty of spirit for decades. You know, you look at people that have started out real passionate. You know, in some ways, that's easy. What happens 20, 30, 40 years? I want to be a 90-year-old man that's hungry and needy for God. <laughs> I want to be somebody that, that, that goes my whole life and is still like, I need him so much today. I want to resist that passivity, that thing that says, oh man, I'm okay, it's all right. No, no, no. I want to be somebody, this man, 80, 90-year-old that's like, God, I need you today as much as I did when I was 25. I need you. I need you. When I'm hungering for righteousness, here's what I want to say as we begin to talk about this. I'm not hungering for right standing. That's settled through the cross. Okay, I'm hungering for righteousness. I'm not, I'm not hungering, you know, uh, to, for right standing. Jesus settled that on the cross. That's what he accomplished for us. What I'm hungering for is that everything that he accomplished would be fully manifested in my life. That everything that he accomplished would be fully manifested in my heart, in my words, in my thoughts, in my emotions, that what he paid for on the cross would actually be the reality of my day-to-day, -day, of my affections, of my relationships. That I would love what heaven loves and I would hate what heaven hates. That when people get hungry, this is what happens. It, it pulls them out of passivity and indifference and just going through the motions of church and religious activity and it begins to actually release a cry. You know, one of the things that I love is when we don't go through the motions in worship, but when, we, when the cry begins to come out of the people of God. I'm not talking about even the people on the stage. That's amazing, but when the cry comes out of the room that says, God, I need you, God, I want you, something happens. You know, they could be crying out and, and, and going for it, but if the room isn't going for it, I'm telling you what, that's, that's, we're going to be having less than what is, is available to us. There's something about a people that cry out and say, God, I want you. God, I need you. A desperation. When people and churches and families get hungry for God, I want to tell you, God moves. God moves. He responds to hunger. Stories in, throughout the Gospels, all over, of, of people that were hungry for God. I think about blind Bartimaeus. You remember his story. I was just reading it this last week in Mark 10. And here's this man who's, who's blind, who is sitting by the side of the road, 
begging, you know, for, for alms, I'm sure. And he begins to hear that Jesus is walking by and he begins to cry out. He has this cry and, he, and the cry is, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. Have mercy on me. And in verse 48 there, it says this, that everybody that was around him starts rebuking him as he's crying out. Like, shh, shushing him. Be quiet. Be quiet. Telling him to calm down. But he cries out all the more. And he says, son of David, have, have mercy on me. And Bartimaeus basically is like, you can, you can have you can play all the religious games that you want. You can have all the opinions about me that you want, but I've got to get hold of the son of God. I need him in a huge way. And when everybody around him is telling him to, to be quiet, he literally arrests the son of God. And Jesus stops and he stops right in his tracks. And, and, and he literally um, turns to him and he says, what do you want me to do for you? In other words, Jesus was like, I heard that cry. I know that cry. I want to tell you, this is what spiritual hunger looks like. Spiritual hunger breaks through. Spiritual hunger breaks through. It breaks through religious facades. And it says, I'm bankrupt without you. And I need you. I've got to have him. And it pulls on Jesus. Do you know that your hunger pulls on the heart of Jesus? One thing we discover in the Gospels is that the, the spiritually hungry get things from Jesus that others don't. <laughs> because they don't care what others think. When did we get so concerned about what other people think? More concerned than what God thinks. I believe that one of the greatest gifts that we've been given is the gift of spiritual hunger. We were created to hunger. We were created to thirst. And not only that, we were created to be satisfied. Satisfied. I don't need to elaborate on, on this because we see it every day around us, but the world is hungering. The world is thirsting. The world is hungering for something. There is such a dissatisfaction in our culture there is such an unmet longing in the, in the culture around us, such a desperate searching for, for comfort, searching for satisfaction, searching for, for something that will bring wholeness. And, you know, we try to satisfy our longings with all kinds of things, don't we? Vacations, food. I know I have tried to satisfy my, my longings with food. How many? It's the, it's the church holy drug right? It's like, it's the acceptable drug, right? Like try and satisfy our longing with entertainment, with, with sex, with the pursuit of money, um, substances that numb us, alcohol, drugs, you know, all the things we, we try and fill, fill that longing with ladder climbing, trying to be something, become something, whatever it might not be, what it might be, but not all of those are, are bad or wrong in themselves, but, but we're still left with an unsatisfied hunger and longing for something. Because the, the something that we're hungering for, the something that we're thirsting for, isn't actually a something, it's a someone. 
It's a, it's a someone, and that, that longing can only be satisfied in one place, in one person, in Jesus. We were created to hunger for righteousness. We were originally created with an appetite for righteousness. This was God's doing. But of course, sin came in and, and we, we gave into the power of sin and that God-given human longing for him got distorted and twisted. But Jesus announces here good news in this fourth beatitude. And he comes and he enters into all of that twistedness of our longing, all those misplaced affections, those distorted hungers, and those distorted thirsts, and he restores us. He, he delivers us. And in the process of that healing, he, he begins to heal us, and he comes in, and he heals the appetites, and he heals the longings that have been twisted and distorted by sin, and he causes his kingdom to break in into our world, and he actually does this. It's amazing. He rewires our distorted longings. How many have ever had that happen? Those, those things that at the heart of them are righteous, but they get distorted because we're trying to f- fill places in us that only he can fill. I'll tell you what, I, I've been hearing stories and stories. I've watched it with my own eyes in several circumstances. God is delivering people from distortion. He's delivering people all over right now from demonic oppression, things that doors that got open where the enemy comes in and starts twisting and all the things. And he's healing that right now. That's the good news of the gospel. He is healing his church. He is healing people. So Jesus sets us free. He delivers us from distorted, twisted compulsions and he restores and he satisfies our natural hungers through hungering and thirsting for righteousness, where we actually crave righteousness. Can you imagine a people that crave righteousness? Let's talk about righteousness for a minute. It's impossible to um, overemphasize the place righteousness has throughout the entirety of scripture. It's everywhere from the beginning to the end. And so, you know, we all have a lot of thoughts about that word, righteousness. What does that mean? So I just want to read a few scriptures and then get into the words of Jesus um, on it as well. Psalm 111, verse 3 says this, Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. So we know his righteousness endures forever. Psalm 23, 3, He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I want to tell you this. God is always leading you into righteousness. Like he's never, ever, ever leading you on a path that doesn't lead to righteousness. So if you're going down a path and you're like, is God in this? Ask yourself, is it righteous? Is it righteous? If it's not righteous, he's not leading you there. Psalm, you guys want me to preach a little more on that, don't you? I can tell. Someone over here really needs some of that. <laughs> Psalm 89, 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. <sighs> the foundation of the throne of God is righteousness and justice. Psalm 56. The, 
or 50, verse 6, the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. For God himself is judge. We see righteousness all through Proverbs, the prophets, and the letters of Paul. Romans, I mean, if you read Romans, it just overflows on the subject of righteousness. Righteousness is central in the teaching and the preaching of Jesus as well. In fact, if you really look at it, the entire Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, is really centered around righteousness. And Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 20. He says, unless your righteousness, so he's preaching this there on that hill, on that, in that sermon, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll get back to that in a minute. He says this in the next chapter, Matthew 6. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. So this is, Jesus is setting a priority here. I want you to seek righteousness. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You're singing about peace and joy. Now we're talking about righteousness. It's the kingdom of God. Seek that first, the kingdom and righteousness. He says in Matthew 5.10, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom, the last beatitude. So what does this word mean? Are you ready for a couple of like lengthy quotes? Well, whether you're ready or not, we're doing it. Um, because I feel like I wanted this to open up to us today because I think we just have this kind of general idea about righteousness. But one definition I found was this, prioritizing and living as God requires. Think about that. Righteousness is prioritizing what God requires and living as what, in what God requires. And I, I read this in a commentary that I thought was so good. I think we'll have it. It's, it says this, conformity to a certain set of expectations, which vary from role to role, talking about righteousness. Righteousness is fulfillment of the expectations in any relationship, whether with God or other people. It is applicable at all levels of society and is relevant in every area of life. Righteousness is the fiber which holds society, religion, and family together. Righteousness enhances the welfare of a community. A godly person was called righteous, a person of wisdom whose righteousness brought joy to his family, to his city, and to the people of God. How many say we need righteousness? We need righteousness. I love what um, this Old Testament scholar, his name was Gerhard von Rad. What a name, right? German. Um, and he's really given powerful language to help us understand this word righteousness. I want you to look at this. He says this. He says, there is absolutely no concept in the Old Testament with so central a significance for all the relationships of human life as that of righteousness. He says, it is the standard not only for man's relationship to God, but also for our relationships to each other. 
reaching right down to the most petty wranglings. I love that. Indeed, it is even the standard for man's relationship to the animals and to his natural environment. So he uses this, 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 in his description, this word relationship. Did you see that? Over and over, relationship. Why is that? Because as you really get to the heart of righteousness, it's because relationship is what righteousness is all about. Relationship is what righteousness is all about. He argues that righteousness is not about living up to legal principles and standards. Rather, righteousness is all about living in faithfulness to the terms of the relationship. Faithfulness to the terms of the relationship. Righteousness is about, is about living up to the particular claims that any given relationship lays upon us. Are you following? Stay with me. In marriage, a spouse is righteous who lives um, up to the marriage covenant, right? So we could say it like this. Righteousness actually means in right relationship. Righteousness means right relatedness. Okay? The term righteousness is found everywhere in the scripture. Why? Because the biblical story is all about right relationship. From the beginning to the end. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be satisfied. We could say blessed are those who hunger and thirst for right relationship. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for right relatedness. For they shall be satisfied. How many know nothing is more satisfying than relationship in right relatedness? Can I hear that from every married person? There's nothing better than when you go to bed at night and you are in right relatedness. There's nothing better than going to sleep knowing, man, my wife and I, we are in right relationship. Like, I'm going to peace because we are in unity. There's nothing more powerful than that. In friendships, you know what it's like when there's something off? It's because there's righteousness missing. Right? In our relationships. It's how we understand the gift of the Ten Commandments. And I want to tell you, the Ten Commandments are a gift to us. The commandments are all about relationship. Have you ever thought of this? They aren't just a code of ethics that God imposes on us. The Ten Commandments are actually a picture of right relatedness that flows from a right relationship with the living God. So the law is not a list of do's and don'ts that must be obeyed in order to enter into relationship with God. The law is simply a picture of the right relatedness being brought forth by God's grace. Let's look at the first line of the Ten Commandments. If you want to turn, you can. It'll be on the screen. Exodus 20, verse 2, where where Moses is giving the Ten Commandments from the Lord. and, And this is what God says. He starts the Ten Commandments out and he says, I am the Lord your God who took you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Think about this. I am the Lord, 
your God. The law begins with a declaration of relationship. I am your God. What is this? This is the language of covenant. This is the language of covenant. He's saying, before you hear anything else that I'm about to say in these Ten Commandments, hear this. I have already established a relationship with you. I'm your God. You're my people. It's like he's saying, I'm your God. You're my people. And here is what our right relatedness is going to look like. (laughs) Here's what it's going to look like. Verse one, you'll have no other gods before you. Why? Because I'm your God. Like, we're in covenant. We're in relationship. I'm your God. You don't need another God. They can't see or hear. They're not going to bring you fulfillment in your heart. They're not going to satisfy you. Only I can. I'm your God. Nothing else. Nobody else is going to take my place in your life. I'm first, right? And he goes on. He's like, you're going to work six days and you're going to rest one. The next one, you're, you're going to honor your father and mother. What is that? Relationship. Are my children here? They needed to hear that one. I'm just kidding. Lives, you're great. I was talking about the other two. Um, just kidding. Don't tell them. Some people go and tell Ruby stuff from last week. I had to explain to her the context. Anyways. Don't murder. That hurts people. (laughs) You'll not commit adultery. That hurts people too. Lots of people. Generations of people. Don't steal. That's bad. (laughs) Don't lie. That hurts relationship too. Right? Like, like, You will not covet. That hurts your relationship too. It distorts how you relate to the person that you want what they have. Right? The commandments are not a list of do's and don'ts that we must obey in order to enter into relationship with God. The law is a picture of the right relatedness brought into being by God's grace. Right? It's his order for life so that it will go well with you. So that life will flow in your relationships. The commandments are all about right relatedness. This is why disobedience is so painful and grievous to God, you guys. It's not because some code has been broken. It's grievous because relationship hasn't been taken seriously. And as I dug into this, I found that many theologians actually believe that Matthew 5.20 that we read a minute ago is is the theological centerpiece of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says this. He says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Actually, they they, they believe that that's actually the center for the, the whole Sermon on the Mount. So the crowd on that hill that day would have been like, like, that's impossible, Jesus. That would have been shocking to them. They're like, these scribes, these Pharisees, these teachers of the law, they're rigorous in their obedience. I mean, they're, they're absolutely rigorous to the rules and the regulations. And Jesus, you know, 
Jesus is telling this thing that they're like, how, how could we ever su- surpass these spiritual giants? Like, surpass that of the teachers of the law? But here's what Jesus was getting at, you guys. The scribes and the Pharisees, in large part, had missed the point of righteousness. They had missed the heart of righteousness. They thought of righteousness in terms of external conformity to the letter of the law. And what Jesus is doing is he's showing us that you can actually obey the letter of the law and not at all be faithful to the relationship being protected by the law. You can be dotting the I's, crossing the T's, and being far from the inward heart realities of the righteousness of the kingdom of God. In fact, Jesus said this as well there in verse 17 of of that same chapter. He says, I didn't come to abolish the law. Put that in your pipe and smoke it a little bit. (laughs) I didn't come to abolish the, don't smoke. It's bad. (laughs) You'd be like, that pastor, he's encouraging smoking over there at Hope Church. What else do they do? (laughs) My grand, anyways, my... (laughs) My grandpa smoked a pipe and I always thought it smelled great, but I don't. Just so you know, your pastor doesn't smoke. Um, I'm so sorry. I, I wish this was in second service where it wasn't online. All of you at home, don't smoke. All right. He says, I, did, I, I didn't come to a bar. I thought it's weird how this happens to me. He says, I didn't. Let's go back. I didn't. Stop laughing. He says, I, he says, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. In fact, listen to what Jesus says. He says, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. He says, I came to fulfill them. In the Josh Thompson paraphrase, I just wrote this down. I came to show you the heart of what true righteousness is really about. So not only will it be about external action, yes, it will be about an inner disposition and transformation that says, I want to live righteously. I want to. It's a want to that Jesus is getting at. Further further down in Matthew 5, he gets into the nitty gritty on this. And he talks about anger and he talks about lust and he talks about divorce and he talks about retaliation. And I want to jump into just a couple of those places. Verse 21, you can read along with me. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Further down, he says, whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. He goes even further to develop what righteousness looks like. Verse 23 says, so, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and then remember you, your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Jesus is saying, I'm showing you what the heart of righteousness looks like. I'm showing you what the heart of righteousness, the righteousness of the kingdom goes beyond legality. 
Do you hear this? Like, just because an action is legal doesn't make it righteous. Right? Like, Jesus, he's saying just because it's culturally acceptable doesn't make it righteous. Righteous means being faithful to relationship, right? So this idea that, you know, leave your gift at the altar and go and be reconciled. Do you know what a big deal that would have been? Jesus, this, he, this isn't just like, hey, go grab somebody in service, take them on the hall, make it right, come back in. No, no, this, this would have been a big deal because Jesus actually imagines someone um, who's, who's going to the temple to offer sacrifices, taking three days of traveling to get there, buying a sacrificial animal on the way, and suddenly they're remembering a relationship that has gone wrong. They have to leave the temple leave the animal, walk three days back to Galilee, which is where they would have been from, make things right with the offended person there, walk another three days back to Jerusalem to offer their worship. Do you know what a sacrifice that would have been? Do you know what a big deal that would have been? Jesus is saying, I care a lot about right relationship, right relationship. I care about your right relatedness. And I'm calling you to true righteousness, which is right relationship. See, righteousness is not compartmentalized to just a few aspects between you and God. Jesus is showing us that righteousness is intertwined in all of life. Not just our relationships with God. It flows from there, but also with one another. Y'all have heard this one, but it's, it's so powerful and so on point for what we're talking about today. When they asked Jesus in Matthew 22, what's the greatest commandment? His response, verse 37, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And he says, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, Jesus says, depends all the law and the prophets He's saying, these two pegs are what everything hangs on. Everything hangs on. For you to actually understand righteousness, you have to understand that everything hangs on these two. The very meaning and understanding of righteousness flows from these two things. So much so that he says, hold your worship. Hold your worship. Whoa, don't bring that sacrifice. Don't bring that offering. Stop singing that song right now. Go make things right. Be reconciled. Go work it out. Not later. Not next week if you remember it. Leave right now. Go in humility, in meekness, in gentleness. Go. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. What would happen if we actually let that righteousness get into our heart and we live from that place. I think revival would break out in families. I think revival would break out in churches. I think the world would get turned upside down, church. If we got a glimpse of how much he values relationship and right relatedness. Here's, here's the thing. Regardless of the response of the person that you go to to make it right, you will know that you did what was right before God. 
you'll know that you did what he asked you to do. He's getting to the heart of righteousness and its right relatedness. Blessed, happy, right side up are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He's saying this is how you're truly satisfied. There's so much relational brokenness in the world. What if we let the righteousness of God get into us on this? The kingdom of God that is breaking into the world is all about right relatedness. The commandments are about right relationship. In fact, the commandments are an exposition of the right relatedness that flows from a right relationship with the living God. Jesus has shown us this is how the new humanity lives. This is how heaven comes to earth. This is how it looks. They hunger and thirst for righteousness. How many want that? Don't we deeply long for this? For God to make all things new? For God to restore what has been broken? Jesus goes on, verse 27, and he he starts talking about lust. He says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He goes on in verse 29, he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. Hey, Jesus talks about hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go to hell. So a man could say to himself, well, you know, I'm righteous towards that woman as long as I don't sleep with her. And ignore the issues of lustful fantasy. Ignore the fact that that while he's using her for his own needs, the damaged relationship, he's actually breaking the right relatedness that God has designed. Right? Like the one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness says, I'm going to get rid of whatever is causing me to lean towards sin and unrighteousness. Like, like anything that would, would, would break covenant of relationship with the Lord, anything that would break relationship that I have with people, I don't want it. I don't want it so much that I'm actually going to tear it out. I'm going to cut it off and I'm going to throw it away. I'm going to tear it out. I'm going to cut it off and I'm going to throw it away. He's, he's, he's of course, not talking literally about gouging your eye out or cutting your hand off. No, he's saying radically and totally get rid of whatever is causing you to lust. That's a word for today. Can you all smile at me? Throw that computer out. You're like, the world operates around a computer. If you've only got your eyes set on the next 10 or 30 or 40 or 50 years, then yeah, that'll be your mindset. If your mind's set on the next thousand years, that computer means nothing. Right? 
Like, no, seriously, we get, we, I want to break us out of this. Like, cause that's like being driven by culture. Like whatever it takes, whatever it takes, get rid of it. Whatever, if that app is causing you to have problems, it's tempting you, get rid of the stinking app. Stay away from that person that's causing your heart to turn away from unright, from righteousness. I want to say that again. Stay away from that person that's causing your heart to turn from righteousness. Like you can actually stay away from them. Now, does that fix the inward reality? No, but it says to God, God, I'm hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And that's actually reflecting in my actions and what I do. You know, Jesus closes the whole Sermon on the Mount by saying, he says that the wise man is the one that hears and actually obeys. The foolish man is just hears and goes on and does what he's doing. There is an action required, a response required to the words of Jesus. And what he's saying here is like, recognize it. Stay away from what's causing your heart to turn from righteousness. Confess it. Cut it out. Cut it off by the power of the Holy Spirit. I tell you, I feel like right now that's a key for some of us. You've been like, oh, I've got to just keep living. No, you don't. You can turn from it and move on. That's the kingdom of God coming near and breaking in. (laughs) It's so good. We can live free. Because that thing is never going to satisfy that longing that's in you. It's actually never going to fill what you're trying to fill. The only thing that's going to satisfy the hunger and the thirst is the righteousness of God himself. God himself. Isaiah 55, I love this verse too. Isaiah says this, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that, that which does not satisfy Listen diligently to me. Eat what is good. Delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. They shall be satisfied. What is righteousness? It's eating what is good. It's it's delighting yourself in the rich banquet table that he's prepared before you. Why spend your money for that which isn't bread and that'll never satisfy you? How many things are we pursuing that are lesser loves that will never, ever, ever fill that thing we're trying to fill? Hunger, thirst. William Barclay, he puts it like this about hunger. He says, the hunger which this Beatitudes describes is no gentle hunger, which could be satisfied with a mid-morning snack. The thirst of which it speaks is no thirst which could be quenched with a cup of coffee or ice drink. It is the hunger of the man who is starving for food and the thirst of a man who will die unless he drinks. God, make us hungry. God, make us hungry. God, make us hungry. Charity, you can come. God, make us hungry. My prayer for us as I've been in this is, God, give us hunger and thirst for righteousness like that. That goes way beyond legality. That goes way beyond technical 
that goes way beyond all of that to a place of like, I wouldn't want to do anything that would hurt my relationship with him. That I wouldn't want to do anything. I wouldn't want to live in a way that would hurt relationship and break relationship with the people that are in my life. It's a, it's a hungering for the righteousness of God to be fully established in every area of our lives. Every thought, every emotion, every desire. It's not a laboring to get righteous before God. Are you hearing me on that? I, I need you to hear that. I'm not talking about a laboring to get righteous before God. That's the death and the resurrection of Jesus. What I'm hungering for is the full effects of the cross to be manifested in my life, to be manifested in my thoughts, to be manifested in my heart, in my relationships, the things that nobody knows about me. I want it manifested there. That who I am before God is who I am all the moments of my life. Righteousness in every way. It's a hungering for God's order in God's way, for God's agenda in my life, for God's agenda in our world. It's being more hungry for God's kingdom than my own success. It's being more hungry for God's kingdom to come than me being right. It's hungering and thirsting is, is about being willing to be ready to be disrupted by Jesus. That in the middle of that favorite Netflix series, he says, hey, this isn't going to satisfy you. Turn that off. Let's hang out. That'll preach. Right? But here's the thing. Over time, if you've been in church for a while, we get domesticated. Right? Like, we actually drift towards comfort. We drift towards ease. We drift towards indifference. But here's what I feel, a prophetic cry coming forth. And this is the cry. Make me hungry. Break me out of routine all the way into the wonder of living righteously. Make us the hungriest people on the planet. Spiritual hunger, it's God revealing to you how much you need God. And if you're here today and you're like, I'm all right, I want to tell you, there's more for you. If you're here today and you're like, it's okay, I'm managing my life, it's good, it's good, I'm living the dream. No, 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 I want to tell you, you can be living the dream and being spiritually bankrupt. You can have all the money in the world and be spiritually bankrupt. You can have no money and be spiritually bankrupt. It's not about any of those externals. But I believe that there's a cry rising up that says, I am hungry. I am hungry. And I tell you, it takes the Spirit of God to show us how we need Him. But what about this cry? I loved, I don't even know who said it. I read it somewhere. Blessed is the person who longs for righteousness as though his or her life depended on it. Blessed are those who are going to die unless they find God. Would you stand with me this morning? Invite our ministry team to come on up. And I, I just want to close with this question for you. Hear, hear me on this, this question. And I believe as I ask it, the Lord's actually going to bring revelation in the room right, right now. 
Yeah, ministry team, would you just come, several of you, please come as quick as you can. Here's the question I want to ask every one of us. What kills your appetite for God? What kills your appetite for God? What is killing your appetite for God? I believe many of you are going to know instantly. How many actually heard something right then? Can I see your hand? Yeah. What in my life is killing my appetite for God? Can we actually close our eyes and, and actually say it as a prayer? And this is going to be a moment of, of um, activating our ability to hear from God. Um, as our eyes are closed, can we just ask the question out loud together? What is killing my appetite for you? Let's say it together. What is killing my appetite for you? you heard something, lift your hand. I just want to see it. Lift it up high. I did. I did too. Yeah. 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 Now, right now, we're just acknowledging it. Let's respond to it by saying, I don't want to just have this be a moment. I don't want to be a foolish builder that hears and goes on with my day, but I actually want to be wise. I want to hear and do. I want to, I want to do something about what you just revealed to me. And so even right now, I want you to mentally just say, what are you going to do about that? How are you going to cut it out? How are you going to yank it out? How are you going to get rid of it? Yeah. Thank you, Lord. I thank you for freedom all over this room right now. I thank you for freedom. I just even sense that he's highlighting relationships today. Um, that right relatedness in relationships, and relationships, and I believe it's in marriages. I believe it's in families. I believe it's in friendships, maybe workplaces. Something that he's highlighting that's actually righteousness has not been flowing in that area because right relatedness has not been flowing. And God says, I want to restore righteousness in that relationship. And there might be something you actually need to do about it in order for his righteousness, the kingdom of God to break in in that area. How many would say, I want to let him work in that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So here's what I'll tell you. I believe the Lord is speaking. I, I bet three-fourths of the room raised their hands. How many say, I'm willing to actually respond to the word of the Lord today and do something about what I heard? Okay. Go do it. Go do it. 
Yay for the day that you didn't just come in and hear a sermon and that was great and go. Yay for the day where we actually hear something, the spirit of God moves in our heart and we have to respond to it. Yay to the day that the fear of the Lord is breaking in in our lives and we actually care what he thinks about what others think. Blessed, happy, right on, you lucky bums. The kingdom is yours. You'll be satisfied. You've been trying to get satisfied with that thing and that thing and that thing. I'm telling you, today is freedom for you. Ultimately, it's his goodness. I am your God. It's covenant, right? I want to encourage you this week. Ask God to make you hungry. Every morning you wake up, God, make me hungry. Make me hungry. If you aren't hungry, admit you're not hungry. Don't pretend you're hungry if you're not. Say, God, I am not hungry, but here I am. Get into your room, sit down on a chair, sit down on the floor, open up the word. Say, God, I'm not hungry, but here I am. I'm taking your word in my, in my hand, and I'm asking you to burn in my heart. I'm asking you to make my heart come alive. Make my heart come alive. And just fill yourself with the word. And the, the third thing I want to tell you, get around hungry people. That doesn't necessarily mean church people. Get around hungry people. Be with people who feed and fuel your hunger for God. Is that a good word? I'm late. I need to let you go. Can I pray for you before we go? And I want to invite anybody at the end of this service. Maybe you don't know God. Maybe you're far away from God. We're here. We want to pray for you. Maybe there's just something you need agreement on. Maybe you're like, I need to actually confess something and say what I'm going to do about it to someone. This team is here at the front. I'll pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that we would be the hungriest people there were. I pray that we would be the most satisfied people because of our desire for righteousness. It is you. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We want to live in the full realities that you made possible by the death and resurrection of your son, God. So we just say, Jesus, come and have your way in us. We want to be like you. We want to look like you. We want to become like you in every way. There's nothing off limits. Come into all of me and do your work. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. Have an amazing week. Come for prayer if you need it.